Hi, I'm Carly Zakin. And I'm Danielle Weisberg, and we're the co-founders of The Skim. Welcome to our podcast, Skimmed from the Couch. On every episode, we invite smart, inspiring, successful women to chat candidly about what it takes to get to the top, and then what it's like when you actually get there. So this is a podcast about the real stuff, the crappy days, the bad advice, the first big career win, and the people who are there for the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. We started the skim from a couch, and we have only one rule on this one, no BS. So please join us in welcoming Tyler Haney to the couch. Tyler is the CEO and founder of Outdoor Voices. I love the leggings. You know it as one of your favorite brands to wear to the gym or to just go for a walk. Tyler grew up in Colorado and got the idea for her company while on a run. That was back in 2013. Uh, we'll get back to that. But since then, she's grown Outdoor Voices to a multi-million dollar national brand. Tyler, welcome to the couch. Thank you for having me. So we are, are big fans of, of what you've built. And I actually remember, I think it was in 2013, uh, we have a mutual friend and someone um, dropped off some leggings for us. And I still wear them all the time. Yeah. And I get the most compliments on them. Good. Um, they're also my travel leggings yeah. um, for airport walking down the terminal. Um, <laughs> I guess I sit in them, which is they're maybe good not red, They're the really brand. good red eye leggings. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. Doing yeah. things or not doing things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I want to talk about... Um, what, I, what has always struck me about your story, and I think we've been to a lot of the same events and know a lot of people in common in the industry, is we actually had a very similar beginning where a lot of people telling us both, don't do this. This isn't a good idea. And we both struggled to raise money um, early on. And obviously, um, you wouldn't be here if you weren't uh, haven't found success. And um, we're really thrilled about how where the skim has come. So I want to first just talk about those early days and the amount of no's that you got early on and why you got those no's. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I never thought I'd be in apparel, firstly. Um, So it's funny to think back to those early days and being like, what the heck was I thinking? Thinking I'm going to start a brand, the next great activewear brand. but I was solving for a personal pain point, and so I what knew. What were you doing before you started this? I was in school, okay. and then had um, kind of a brief job out of school, and and had this personal pain point of of exercising in clothes that made me feel like, you know, I wanted to be an Olympic athlete, but rather I was going on a very recreational jog every day, and I was like, there's dissonance here. I look like a superhuman, and I and I all I want is comfortable clothes to sweat in. So, um, but did that like sometimes when I would put on those clothes. I would feel like, oh, this might give me Olympic speed. And of course it didn't. But for you, was it like just not having uh, the right, like it was almost like giving pressure and exactly. not making you feel motivated? Yeah, think back to like track practice or, or track meets and you're wearing these clothes and the goal is to like cross the finish line first. And as a competitive athlete, you have so much pressure associated with being the fastest and slashing seconds off your time. And so... When, when I was out of school and on that recreational run, I, I kind of s- felt stressed out. And I was like, there's, you know, there's got to be an opportunity to get more people active by taking that pressure away. And it, for me, it started with the clothes. So I said, I want to build an outfit for activity that strips away the muscle mapping, strips away that pressure to perform, and rather flips that on, a he- on its head and makes it easy to, to get out and go for a jog. Um, and so I started with a top and a bottom. I called it the Outdoor Voices Kit. Um, and I started... Finding why, how, why outdoor voices? Um, think back to when you're little and your mom's like, use your inner voice. Uh, that like youthful <laughs> spirit, that that spirit kind of embodied the, the feeling I wanted people to have 
around exercise rather than this like intense macho kind of feeling. So uh, we call it OV for short, but I had um, my product, so the Outdoor Voices kit, and I started making a list of kind of investors that I admired. Um, and, and it's kind of interesting and curious about your guys' experience, but it all was men at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started, you know, using the student card. Uh, hey, I'm Tyler. I just graduated from Parsons. Like, I'm really looking to uh, build the next great activewear brand. So wait, stop for one second, because mm-hmm. you went to Parsons. Yes. So you had an apparel foundation. I went there for a program called Design and Management, which was a business degree. So it was more um, kind of traditional rope business courses, but also with kind of Adobe suite courses where you can learn to kind of visualize your ideas, et cetera. So it wasn't fashion. Okay. So, all right, go back to your list. So you made this list. It was a bunch of men. Yeah. A bunch of men, um, tech investors mostly, Mm -hmm. just people that you read about in the news. Why did you go to tech investors and not just um, follow, you know, there's plenty of really successful retail brands that wouldn't necessarily be categorized in the tech space. Yeah, no, it's a good question. I think just in the news, like what what was energetic and lively and like what what, uh, companies were being funded, it happened to be all these tech tech companies. Um, And I knew just because of the timing, like we were gonna be a digital first brand if, if I was gonna do this, mm-hmm. right? So the tech piece was gonna be important. Um, and so I started making a list, it was all guys, and started uh, reaching out to them saying, I wanna build the next great activewear brand, like let me come talk to you. I'd get into the offices, I'd bring the product, and you could tell just it wasn't, it wasn't clicking. It was girl product and mm-hmm. talking to guys. So um, lots of no's, lots of like, under Armour and Nike, you're gonna. Are you serious? You want to go up against those guys? Um, what did you you're say crazy. To that? Well, I. I mean, I. I was pretty quiet. I was like, it, it kind of made me angry. You know, <laughs> I was like, yes, I am. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. And so all of these kind of knows and and kind of that. Um, are you crazy? Like almost became the fuel to do it, right? And so lots and of knows. What was the pitch? And mm-hmm. I think back to our early pitches and I kind of want to cringe. Yeah. But like when yeah. people would be like, you know, there's Under Armour, there's Nike. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm guessing this was before, um, you know, a lot of the brands that, I mean, I guess Lululemon was there, but there mm-hmm. are a lot of other brands. So this was kind of the edge of this athleisure exactly. kind of yeah. uh trend what did you say what was the hook? I actually looked back at my first deck um, recently and the first page says I want to build the next great activewear brand so it hasn't it hasn't wavered which is funny but um, it's become a whole lot more real Um, and in those offices I kept getting no's and I started to think about how am I gonna how am I gonna convince these guys and so I started uh, shipping product ahead of these meetings to the um, investors' wives, and the wives would say, damn, my butt looks good, like I feel very (laughs) comfortable in this, and that's how I started to gain some traction in terms of the funding piece. So that is so (laughs) interesting because we had a lot of moments when we started fundraising. We had our list of the hundreds of no's, um, and when we did get the meeting, the first question usually we would get is like, well, I have to, either my wife doesn't read it, or my wife does read it and she loves it. Um, and we kind of went with it because we were like, this is a ridiculous sample size of one, yeah. but it's <laughs> how they're judging 
you know, whether or not this meeting is going to continue. And we would kind of have to tailor our pitch to whatever that response was to their wives' um, initial reactions. So, like, did you get their addresses? Like, I'm so curious. Did you ask for their address before the meeting and send their wives? Oh, yeah. I was scrappy. I was, like, the master of Google um, and very scrappy. So, yeah, I would would ping ahead and be like, hey, I want to gift you guys some stuff to try. I want your Mm -hmm. feedback. Always, like, I want your feedback just to get it in the door, right? Um, And and that really worked. Like, the wives really loved the product. Um, And and similar to you guys, it sounds like, as well. Yeah, so we've talked a lot about, especially on this podcast, like, we really knew nothing about fundraising. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, truly, you know, the terminology involved. um, And and early on, a lot of people came to us and were like, you know, you should hire a consultant or, you know, you should hire, you should get a third person there who knows more about finance. And um, we didn't, we had no choice but to do with the two of us, but we um, we very much learned as as we went. And I'm curious, um, walk us through like what was your base knowledge around fundraising? Did you do it by yourself? Um, how how did that work? And what how did you learn how to do this? Yeah, um, learn by doing. But I I actually met this guy Peter Boyce from General Catalyst early on. You guys might know him as well. Um, he has a, a kind of VC called Rough Draft Ventures, which is focused on kids in, in college. But um, I lucked out to meet him and David Fialco from General Catalyst early on. I which got for our listeners is, is a, a preeminent venture capital firm. Yes, yes, General Catalyst, they're great. Um, and so they have they have been instrumental in helping me understand kind of the landscape of fundraising, et cetera, and connecting me to the right partners. But early on knew nothing, you know? So just by jumping in and surrounding yourself with people who know a heck of a lot more, um, uh, that's how I've figured it out. What do you remember is the most naive comment you said in a fundraising meeting? Mm, That's a good question. Well, actually, this is funny. I arrived to my pitch for the Series A with a huge black eye. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Black eyes tend to be lucky for me. I don't know. (laughs) It's a thing. Um, I had been running that morning. Actually, the the morning previous and um, tripped over a dog coming the other way <laughs> and I seriously had the biggest black oh eye. Gosh. It kind of worked well yeah. with, uh, you know, with, with the exercise clothes, etc. But <laughs> I, don't, I didn't have to say anything, but that was <laughs> embarrassing. <laughs> oh, man. You know what's something we're not good at? Many things. Where do you want me to start? <laughs> uh, well, I think the biggest one that stands out to me is uh, planning logistics around moving and spatial planning considering we're sitting in office number four (laughs) uh okay that i will give you that we you are not good at that well i will say that i was looking at your desk and the amount of like loose photos you have and press stuff over the years stresses me out so i have a cure for you it is called framebridge and i think it's something you should try what is Framebridge? So here's how it works. It's basically the, the easiest way to get all of that stuff you've been meaning to get framed and mounted actually up to your wall. So you upload your photo from your computer or directly from your Instagram feed. That's a nice perk uh, for them to print. Or if you have a physical item, ticket stubs, art prints, posters, whatever, they'll give you a secured prepaid packaging so you can mail it for free. So basically you don't need to worry about how it gets there. Then you can preview your item online in any frame style so you can get recommendations or just pick the one you like. If you go to framebridge.com and use promo code SKIM, you will save an additional 15% off your first order. So just go to framebridge.com, use the promo code SKIM, and you should be all set to start framing your photos or art today. Um, So what was it like when you first got that yes after all the no's? Um... I mean, 
it felt freaking good after 70 no's or something. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a little bit of validation, but, but as I had mentioned, you're kind of like full of this a little bit of frustration because you, no one believed in it, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so it felt great, but for a hot second, and then you're like, back to it, back to it, back to it. Um, but I, I actually can't remember. That's very weird. <laughs> Do you think that, was there anything that you had switched or changed about how you pitched yourself that got you to the yes? Was there a moment where you were like, I'm so frustrated, I'm just going to say it like this, and I'm going to get a yes? No, I think just being very open to the critical feedback and folding that into the way that I continued to refine the What kind the pitch. of critical feedback did you get? Just, just like, um, I think around like the the financial model, et cetera. And so mm -hmm. I'd, you know, you'd have to like double click at this line and yeah. like go work on kind of that that margin doesn't make sense, et cetera. So like, I I was very appreciative and probably not ready to take on funding at the at the earliest stage. It's so funny, like that process, we, actually, we had that moment too. I remember uh -huh. we had like I mean hundreds of no's and we were Bad. so frustrated. And we were also just, like, as you said, like angry, you're pissed mm -hmm. off. And I remember we got a turkey sandwich at some <laughs> deli on Hudson Street in Manhattan. We sat on a stoop and we were like, okay, we're smart people. Th this is a good idea. People are liking it. We're just not saying it the right way. So like, let's just forget all the terms that we know or how we think we should pitch and like just pitch it to each other. And like, we got finally like a much clearer, less convoluted way to describe what our vision was and what we wanted to build and to describe the financial model and to describe all the stuff that for whatever reason, there were many reasons why it wasn't sticking and clicking with investors. And I think it was the meeting after that or like the next yeah. two after that, that's when we hit momentum but and there, there was an irony there. And I, I wanna talk to you about this because clearly, you know, starting something as we did with a newsletter takes much less capital. Like we could do it, right? We wanted to raise so that we could expand, but we did that based off of the traction that we were seeing. So by the time we were going out to raise, what was so frustrating for us was that we already had, you know, tens of thousands of people opening us every day and we had this community and all these metrics did you how did you start selling did you have mm -hmm. to raise in order to start producing clothes or how did you start to think about taking on the inventory like when you went out to the raise in the beginning were you already selling um i was getting product on my friends and family right so and also if you can be in a business without inventory, I highly recommend <laughs> it. That's like <laughs> what keeps me up at night, inventory yeah. and inventory turns. Um, but I, I put all my dollars from working through school into making product early on. Um, and so I had product to gift to investors and friends and family. Um, we actually early on got uh, J. Crew reached out. They had a program called Discovered. And... Um, this gal, Tracy Giorgio, Giorgio from J. Crew said, hey, I love this product. I want 11,000 units. So wow. pretty early. That's amazing. It became, um, here's a purchase order. Like, now I got to raise some cash. So that is, like, kind of an incredible moment that if people are listening and have their own idea for apparel company. Like, that's a really unique thing to happen. What do you think made you get on the radar of, of this Tracy from J. Crew? I think it, I mean, for everything, it comes back to having really good product. So, like, mm -hmm. Um, and I actually learned this from someone recently, uh, friends at, at Tesla, like mm -hmm. they don't have a marketing department um, and, and they firmly believe like make product that 
uh, is 10 times better than what is out there in the market. And so I laser focused on really good product and through word of mouth started getting traction. Um, I think it was helpful to be here in New York in terms of getting on people's radars quickly, but regardless of where you are, like focus on making fantastic product. And so the product is really what started to get me traction. Um, and it was different than what was, out, what was out in the market. And so Tracy caught on to it and was like, let's, let's get it out there. So you raised capital. What's the first thing you do with that money? Did you hire or did you get more inventory? More inventory. Um, sprung up a very scrappy website and started selling, started sending my friends there, you know, like tiny amounts of traffic, but uh, just to kind of get this muscle built in terms of the production cycles and, and selling, et cetera. Um, I knew I wanted to build this digital first in terms of Nike, Under Armour, and Lulu. They, they, uh, the advantage was going to be born online, right? So Under Armour and Nike were both wholesale businesses before, then retail, then, then digital. And Lulu had um, relied on opening stores very quickly, so retail. And I was like, my advantage is going to be uh, all through online and then through social. Um, and so started getting kind of that muscle built um, and just kind of the production cycle, having inventory again was something to, to reckon with. Um, and so just kind of that process was, was what I focused on first. One of the things that I found interesting was when you were talking about your initial pitch deck, um, when we read ours, like we legit cringe, but it is amazing how much has stayed consistent when mm -hmm. you go back to that original vision. And you said active wear, right? Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's so much talk in the past few years about brands that are focused on athleisure. Is there a difference to you and is there a difference in how you market or is it kind of different buzzwords that essentially mean the same thing? Definitely. Um, <clears throat> I cringe at athleisure because it makes me think of just like a look or like mm -hmm. a fashion trend, right? And, and I've been from the beginning, having grown up like an athlete and someone who exercises every day, if I'm lucky, <laughs> I try. Um, I, I really firmly believe that we're, um, we're solely focused on, on product to sweat in. So like what product to wear when you're actually in the activity. And I think that's a big difference than what this athleisure trend has become, which is like, it's not really rooted in activity. Um, and I go back to day one, the deck active wear, that was very intentional. Um, and people call it athleisure, but it's something that I'm pushing hard against is like, we are making product for athleisure? the activity. Athleisure, <laughs> sexy. <laughs> <laughs> who have been your biggest mentors? Like who has helped talk you through a lot of this? <clears throat> um, Mickey Drexler joined the board last year. He's That's fantastic. Amazing. Congratulations. Was that terrifying? Not at all. <laughs> it was awesome. Actually, we had, um, had like a little uh, quarrel earlier on. I had hired someone from J. Crew, and uh, went into his office to meet him. And he ha he goes on the loudspeaker and he's like, "Okay, Tyler's coming in. Like, what do I need to know?" And they're like, "He she just hired this guy Tim." And so I walked into the um, his office and it was you know I got we had we had this yeah. funny kind of dynamic. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Mickey Drexler is a legend. He's amazing. You, he's very spicy. This is your first real job. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You are on your own. You uh -huh. walk in and he yells at you. Yeah, it was Are crazy. you like shaking? Are you on the verge of tears? Or are you like geared up and you're uh, like, I'm in a fight? I think we both are, you know, we can go, we can go there. Um, but it's funny to think back now that he's on the board and be like, oh, we had that little debacle, but it, it was smoothed <laughs> over very quickly. Um, he, he's amazing, I think, first and foremost from pattern recognition. So having mm -hmm. been in this business for 50 years, like he can like very easily synthesize um, something and tease out kind of like a yes or no. 
Uh, he's really good with people. And then I think he was on the board of Apple for 16 mm -hmm. years. And one thing that he said to me early on was, um, when Steve Jobs came into a board meeting, he had the iPod for the first time, and he asked all the board members, like, how many do you think we'll sell this year? And everyone was like, 100,000, like, tiny amounts. And he's like, are you guys freaking crazy? Uh, guess what? Like, we're benchmarking this against. And it was um, the Sony Walkman. And so Mickey kind of summed this up as, like, uh, Steve continued to challenge us to talk or think about how high is high. And so in a business with inventory, it's all about building franchises. And, and that was the first thing that really stuck with me. How high is high? Mm -hmm. And like really when you're, when you're going to market with something, what are you benchmarking it against? Um, and so he he's has all these kind of anecdotes and like cool stories that make you think bigger. So part of thinking bigger is the stress that comes with that. You said before that inventory keeps you up at night. Mm -hmm. What are your biggest stressors? Um, building a team is the most rewarding but also most challenging part of it. I'm sure that Agreed. you guys it's agree. It's so hard. Yeah. It's hard. <clears throat> um, and, and being the CEO is, is awesome, but uh, one of my board members recently challenged me. He calls it the F quotient, and it's a spectrum of fun to frustration. He's like, where, where are you kind of like on this spectrum? Um, and, and he's... Or when do you say fuck? You, yeah, <laughs> when do you say fuck? Where, fuck might be right in the middle. Um, but it's something that I've been, that's been top of mind. Like, I, I keep talking to my team about like, we want to be positioning ourselves and aligning our strengths, aligning ourselves to our strengths to have fun doing this, you mm -hmm. know? And it's a constant reminder because I find that a lot of people, including myself, like the stress gets to you, right? So that's something that I'm continuously thinking about the F quotient, like keep putting yourself where you're energized and, and kind of best utilized and having the most fun or you're gonna burn out. How do, you said you work out every day. Oh, is I that, try. Is that like, how do you do that? You work out most days? I mean, working out for us, it could be a, a lap around the block, you know, like um, instead of having a meeting in the office, like hop outside. So we're quite flexible in terms of what a workout counts mm -hmm. as, right? And I think that's why people resonate with OV. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but I try to, I try to uh, change the chemistry, I call it. Like work, work out, get some sort of sweat going um, because it, it mentally changes kind of how, how you think and how you operate. So we were first-time managers when we did the scam. I'm assuming, mm -hmm. correct me if I'm wrong, that you were a first-time manager oh, yeah. doing this. Um, what what part of management has been the hardest for you? Are there moments where you look back and you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe I did that? I mean, the recruiting piece. Like, we're the gatekeeper to talent, and yeah. I think that's what, what – um, yeah, the, the most important job we have as CEOs of these companies. And so um, I have definitely – made mistakes in hiring and and that's such a bummer because it's not mm -hmm. good for either side right and so um that's probably what i've learned the most to be very disciplined around in terms of the process of, of recruiting um and protecting kind of being a lot more protective of, of the team that you have in place mm -hmm. um and so go very slow to vet people and make sure that they're both a uh, capability fit, but also more importantly, a culture fit. Do you have a, a go-to interview question? Um, can you, how many pastas can you name in 60 seconds? Go. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> yeah, really? And then what do you want to get out of that? You see how people can. Do you want to see it. if people eat carbs? Papardelli. No, <laughs> just like if they can if they can roll with it. So seriously. Do you get a lot of raised eyebrows with that? I don't know. The reaction yeah. is that yeah. you know. You yeah. can, That's funny. Yeah. When you. When I hear you talk, like there's so much similarities in the challenges that we've had and, and kind of starting from square one in many ways. 
And I think it is very true when people say it is lonely at the top. Like being a CEO is really lonely. We are a very unique model that we have each other and like we can totally vent to each other in a safe space. Who do you vent to? <clears throat> I have um, five direct reports. And so um, this guy, Gary Keller, he actually wrote this really awesome book called The One Thing and it's all about focus. I picked it up in the airport. I highly recommend <laughs> it. But he is in Austin and he's an investor now. And he said, um, if there's no real difference between like a 70,000 person company and a 120 person company. He said, if you can focus on those five direct reports, your leadership team, like they might kind of phase in and phase out. Like that's, that's your brain trust. And so I've laser focused on, on these five people. Can you be vulnerable or insecure in front of them? Oh yeah, every day. Tears, you know, the yeah. whole shebang. <laughs> um, but I thought that was interesting advice. I don't know if I 100% agree that there's no difference in, in that size of yeah. company, but focusing on those five people as your brain trust and like very much investing in How them. How many people are you guys now? Uh, we're 127 What's and we're in Austin oh. now. Wow. You know yeah, I knew that, but that's amazing. So uh, what's been the biggest difference in moving the company? Um, time goes slow in Austin, which <laughs> is awesome for creative people. It feels like you have yeah. more minutes in an hour, um, which is very strange. It's like a psych psychological nuance, but we've been very excited by it. I also think... Um, did you get ev almost everyone to move with you, or did you have to rebuild the team? Yeah, a little bit of both. I mean, it's we had most people move down there, which was a, wow. uh, an interesting bonding experience. It's it's pretty cool now. Why did you move? Um, <clears throat> so I'd started over here um, four years ago, visited Austin for the first time, went to this beautiful, uh, I call it the Fountain of Youth. It's called Barton Springs. It's a spring, natural spring-fed pool at the heart of downtown, um, and looked around, and I was like, this place is like the spirit spiritual home for OV. It's very recreational. There's a 13-mile dirt trail right at the base of downtown, and it's shocking to me that there's no activewear brand here. Mm -hmm. And I had grown up in Boulder, <coughs> excuse me, um, and, and in contrast, Boulder has like every performance brand in the world. Yeah. And, um, and I looked at the kind of legacy brands and said there's something really powerful about having kind of a platform for growth in terms of a city that takes on the DNA of the company. I'm going to make OV headquartered in Austin. Um, and it's been awesome. I think a lot of companies start to look the same in New York mm -hmm. or in SF when everything's like right on top of each other. Yeah. And so having um, kind of space to play and, and, and really get creative and create our own rules to the game has been amazing about being in Austin. It's very obvious listening to you and have, I've seen you speak on stage that you are a visionary and that you're someone that people want to follow. What are you like actually as a manager? You're <laughs> like, a good when question. you're in the weeds, like, uh -huh. what are you like? Um, I think one thing that I continue to go back to is having an unbounded enthusiasm for what you do. And so I really love passionate people and that's something I look for when I'm recruiting. Um, I think I'm allergic to ego, and so the like. I think we have the same allergies. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say that I'm. I I lead with optimism. I I believe in in totally possible. That's kind of my mantra. Um, when I was young, my mom. I've talked about this, but my mom would tell me, "TYB, baby, try your best." Like regardless of what I was going to do, um, and and I kind of have these mottos that that we come back to with consistency with the team, and so. Um, don't take no for an answer, totally possible. Uh, I, I really um, lean into people that are like, 
we're going to find a way, you know? Um, <clears throat> but I'm, I'm, I have a fast cadence and pacing. So for certain people, it's probably too much um, in terms of like <clears throat> driving hard and driving fast. Are you naturally an extrovert? Oh, that's a good question. I kind of sit right in the middle. I think um, given my position, I, I need to be, but I'm insecure all the time, you know? So like, it's interesting. It's One of the things that we found, we're not naturally extroverts, but mm -hmm. you have to turn it on. Right. And I think you start doing this for a few years. It's like a muscle that you have to keep working. And all of a sudden we were talking about this the other day that, um, it gets easier and easier that you kind of don't realize how you've naturally become someone that is fine speaking in front of people right. or leading a team meeting. Right. Was that hard to develop for you or was it you were so passionate that? No, it, I mean, uh, and especially as the team grows, like our all hands, now we do them once a month, but um, being very open and vulnerable and transparent is difficult, particularly when like, you know, there's slumps in the business or things aren't great. And so um, I've, I've learned to embrace that. And I've found that the results are so much better when you can just like, like address that shit and be open and vulnerable and, and kind of put it all out there. So um, it's hard. Do you guys do all hands? We do. And as part of that, we do AMAs so people can submit questions. Yes. We do all hands every week. Um, we I think have the same, you know, struggles and like you, we definitely want to be transparent. I think we as founders um, are really transparent and put that first. But it's it's hard, especially when things don't go well. How mm -hmm. do you how do you manage that? How do you message that when you have, you know, for us, 70 pairs of eyes totally. staring at you? And if you say one word wrong, it screws up the messaging. Um, and I think that's something that we've had to work at is balancing how to be transparent, but also, you know, how to be up there and in a spotlight. I think um, being okay with discomfort is something that's important. And also um, expecting change. You know, we have a company with a lot of young people um, that this is their first job. And so um, recently I've found that talking about the expectation that things are going to change every day, you know, like we're in a startup and, and really um, being forthright with nothing's going to stay, stay the same and like okay with discomfort for a bit um, is something that I've, I've learned. Like not everything needs to be perfect all the time, you know. Uh, what's the worst piece of advice you've gotten along this journey? I think like getting too many people's opinions is the worst advice. So people are always like, ask, 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 find mentors. But ultimately, you can take in all of all of this feedback. But what I've what I've learned is like you can't operate by consensus. You can't make deci decisions by consensus. So like you've got to be curious and open and and definitely learn from others but ultimately it comes down to yourself and like looking inward um and you have the answers so i would say um being careful about taking too many people's opinions i think that is very good advice tyler thank you very much thank you thank you for creating products that we love yes and we're <laughs> thank you for having me you guys thanks for hanging out with us join us next week for another episode of skim from the couch and if you can't wait until then, subscribe to our daily email newsletter that gives you all the important news and information you need to start your day. Sign up at theskim.com. That's the S-K-I-M-M dot -M com. Two M's for a little something extra. <laughs>